The moon is my sun, the night is my day, blood is my life, and you are my prey. to the crypt everybody i am the crypt keeper and this is the straight from the suburbs podcast season two episode nine we find ourselves this evening in the revamped superhero studios it's more spacious more inviting you know thank god for my new space it's more comfy for guests today's in-studio fiend is the crypt keeper's old friend and prolific paranormal producer wolfman jackson say hello wolfman It is a full moon, so he's here in full force. Now, Wolfman is here not only as a special guest. Don't forget, Wolfman Jackson, you still got to work your black magic and still produce this episode. So you ready for the task? I'm up for it, baby. It's double duty, producer and guest. That's right. I'm all about two states. (laughs) Now, Wolfman Jackson is here as a specialist and to be my Solomonic key to the interesting town of Wilno, Ontario and the odd occurrences were within. Ladies and gentlemen of the crypt, welcome to the Wilno Vampire. Growing up, I loved a bunch of things, but two of my favorite things were vampires and cottaging. It's a contrast, I get it. Now, I did not have a cottage of my own, so I had to rely on the kindness of strangers, kind of of my friends, kindness of my friends with cottages. Mainly my old friend here in studio, Wolfman Jackson. I have great memories over at your cottage, driving down to the cottage, and it's in a very special spot. It's in the woods, right on the edge of uh, Golden Lake. There's a cottage and there's a bunkhouse. Wolfman, how long has this cottage been in your family for? Uh, it's 1975, I believe. My, uh, my father and his father joined together to, to build it. It was one of those, uh, cottage kits in the, uh, just up on cinder blocks. Wow. Well, it's gone along, come a long way from being cinder blocks. You know, it, it, it's a, it is a modern cottage, but it still has that rustic charm to it. You know, going up to it, you're coming through the forest and you finally reach the, the clearing where the cottage is. As I said before, it's, it's, on the, um, it's on Golden Lake. So you have a really contrast of water and forest. And then you also have a contrast of modern and old school cottaging. Now, the, the cottage itself, it has running water, heat and hydrogen, all that. But then there's, there's a bunkhouse located outside. And that's where us kids, when we were younger, we'd go and we'd hang out in, and we'd sleep in the bunkhouse. Now, instead of having to go into the washroom in, in, the, in the cottage, at nighttime, we'd have to go into the outhouse. Is that, is that still there next to the bunkhouse? The, the outhouse has caved in and, and disappeared, but, but we'll still pee off the steps. All right. <laughs> but it was, it was always an adventure waking up at 2, 3 in the morning in the dark bunkhouse, leaving, and you're in the middle of the forest just to go around the corner to use, to use the washroom. I remember 
you know, a handful of times going in there and it's it's pitch black. And you could see the stars through the trees, you could you could hear the, the waves crashing on the lake. You know, but other than that, it was pure darkness. And going into the outhouse and you're in there and then your mind starts to play tricks on you. You hear footsteps. You hear the uh, leaves crunching underfoot. You hear branches breaking underfoot. And you hear, you hear voices maybe. You hear the wind. I remember sitting there and like your mind starts playing tricks with you. And then coming back in as quickly as I can because you're scared out of your mind. So a bit about Willno, it's, during my research, I found out that Willno is, is less than 500 population. Is that true? It's pretty small. Is it that small? I, don't, I've, I remember it being small, obviously. I don't remember being it that small. Yeah, it's, it's up that way, and it's, uh, it's, it's not a far cry from, from where the cottage is. And it's, it is, it's, a, it's not a huge population, but, but I do remember, and as you drive into Wilno, up as the hills, the hills kind of crest up and you, and you enter Wilno, I believe it was the first Polish settlement in Canada. Yeah, that, that brings me to my, to my, to my next point, you know, um, it's located, Wilno is located in the Ottawa Valley in the Ontario Highlands, and it's southeast of Algonquin Park and southwest of Pembroke, am I right? Yeah. It's a beautiful town, but with a dark secret. So I remember going into Wilno with your with your with your family, and you'd recognize the characters around Wilno. Remember uh, Frickin' Frack? <laughs> yeah, Frickin' Frack, and, and then there was uh, a, a famous band up there called the Wilno Express with uh, Barney McCaffrey, who was on. Uh, it was an accordion, and, and man, yeah, they used to tell tales of, of the lore of kind of what we're getting into here about about up in Wilno, and, and really those down-home tales, and yeah, the Wilno Tavern, being able to go and, as a, again, as a young wolf, teenage wolf pup, being able to go and play the blues jams up there and stuff, but, but it is, it's the Polish settlement, lots of skis, lots of something, a ski in their name, and, uh, and wonderful... Wonderful area. Yeah, like and like the characters in, in the town itself was, uh, was always stood out to me. I remember being in Wilno with you guys, and there's a, some sort of parade or some sort of event going on in the center of town. A lot of red and white flags, a lot of Eastern European folk dancing. As you said, a lot of names ending in ski. As you said, it's also a very Polish environment. Now, all of those things are no dark secret. It's well known that Wilno, or properly pronounced Vilno, was the first Polish settlement in Canada, as you mentioned before. Now, the Poles have a great and wondrous history, full of folklore, tradition, beliefs, and occultism. When the Polish immigrants immigrated to present-day Wilno, they were happy to bring forth with them the lore and leave behind anything that frightened them the most unsettling of all being vampires. Now, I love vampires. I always have. I like the, the dapper version that a vampire strikes, the old word knowledge they possess, and the dark brooding romance they lustily find themselves in. The vampire aesthetic has changed, and I also enjoy the its somewhat monstrous change that they have sometimes become. It all adds to the lore of the vampire. With vampires, there is such a great tradition that you suddenly find yourself a part of, 
each generation reinvents what that means to them. Now that's a quote from Martin Sheen, and he was, he's a Welsh vampiric actor. And he's done many roles as vampires. And the vampire lore and watching Mr. Sheen act as vampires, as a vampire, you know, back in the day, that got me into vampires as well. And I was first introduced to vampires around, say, 1984, 1985. I'm going to take you back on a little uh, road trip back in time. Tell me if you remember this book here. Or quite possibly this author. What I'm holding up, folks, people in the crypt, is a book by Ottawa author named Eric Wilson. And Eric Wilson, he was a children's author, but he wrote children's horror stories. And at the time, even now, they're quite scary. And this particular one is called Vampires of Ottawa. And what made it scary is, of course, the vampire, but it's the familiarity of the surroundings that Eric Wilson, the author, puts the vampire in. He's putting vampires at Parliament Hill. He's putting vampires on Elgin Street. He's putting vampires at the uh, the Governor General's uh, house and also down at the hostel. And so you're reading this as a kid and you're just, oh my God, I know Elgin Street. You know, I've been to Rideau Center. There's vampires down there. So it really gets your, your imagination running. And Eric Wilson has a great series of, uh, of horror stories for kids. If you could still find them, these type of books that are on those scholastic uh, school order books, or you go to W.H. Smith back in the day to get these books. They're a short read, and they're, they're fantastic. It still holds up today. Another one is, is The Granddaddy of the Mall. Dracula by Bram Stoker. Now, this is the classic vampire tale. And invite everyone, everybody knows the story of Dracula. Everybody has heard Bram Stoker. It's a great gothic novel, novel, and it really set the tone for all vampire stories, all vampire stories ever since. Now, moving past uh, uh, Bram Stoker brings me to his great-great-grandson, Dacre Stoker. Now, way back when, I guess the Stoker family moved from Ireland to the Maritimes. And Dacre Stoker... He picked up the he picked up the mantle of where his uncle or where his great great grandfather left off, and he wrote a, a book called Dracula: The Undead. First of all, before I go into anything about this, the name Dacre Stoker. If your name is Dacre Stoker, you're writing vampire stories. But this guy, he wrote a pretty good book. It's almost like a Dracula two, like a second part to it. It actually picks up where his great great grandfather. Bram Stoker left off, and it continues the story. It brings in some new characters, brings in some new events, and spoiler alert, it brings back Dracula. Now that brings us to a bit more modern times as well. We're going to stay in the modern times, and we're going to talk about, uh, well, I'm going to introduce um, Interview with the Vampire, Anne Rice. You know, may she rest in peace. Anne Rice passed away uh, late last year, but she wrote a great book, Interview with the Vampire. And from this great book came a great movie, uh, Interview with the Vampire, starring former Ottawa resident Tom Cruise. You know, he spent eight years here. He actually got he actually got bit by the acting bug while here in Ottawa. And he plays Lestat, the titular role in Interview with the Vampire, and he does a great job. And it's a, it's a very good movie. Another good movie about vampires, it's called Shadow of the Vampire came out around 2002, stars John Malkovich and William Defoe. you know, creepy actors on their own right. And it's a very interesting story that they tell. It's the story of 
um, the making of Nosferatu, the movie. Nosferatu is a 1912 silent film about Nosferatu. Nosferatu is Latin for, for vampire. And it has your typical creepy old school vampire. And so it tells a story of the director going to Romania and hiring this actor to play Nosferatu. And this guy, he looks the part. He comes in looking the part. Bald, uh, segmented eyes, pointy nose, pointy ears, rows of fangs. He's perfect for the role. But the thing is, as time goes on, people start to disappear. The mystery thickens, the plot thickens. And did that director actually hire Nosferatu himself or an actor playing Nosferatu? That's the mystery of the movie. It's a great movie. But all of these vampires are stories of vampires. But they all, all lore starts from somewhere, you know? And so people were writing about actual vampires back in the day. Case in point, Vlad the Impaler. Everybody knows who Vlad the Impaler is. He was a, a Wallachian prince who fought off the Ottoman Empire. Uh, he drank blood. He drank his enemy's blood. He cannibalized them. He cut them up and cut them up into little pieces. He decapitated them, put their heads on pikes. Um, he he put the their 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 dead enemies all over the town. It was him that it was him that, uh, that's quoted as saying, "The streets will flow red with the blood of my enemies." So this guy, and he was, in all intents and purposes, he was a vampire. Moving on, you could talk about Elizabeth Bathory, and she was a Hungarian duchess who was also the biggest mass murderer in history. Either she or her goons at the time would go out and they'd kill all these girls and bring them back to the to, to the um, Bathory Castle and Elizabeth Bathory would cut them up, hang them upside down, cut them open and bloodlet them so all the blood will gather into a, a bathtub. She'd bathe in the bathtub, make makeup out of the blood in the bathtub. Um, she'd drink the blood, you know, and she, she was using that blood to take the energy and the life force of all those poor, unfortunate maidens. And she's been credited, her and her team of goons, with kill, kill, killing around a thousand girls. Wow. The vampire lore, it starts with history. And history brings us back to Vilno. Wilno is the, as I said before, it's the first and oldest Polish settlement in Canada. The original settlers came in 1858, mainly of Kashabian origin from Kasebi, the then Prussian area of Poland. One of the reasons they chose this area to settle was because of the landscape, which reminded them of their original home. In the Kashabian legends, many curious facts about old gods and mythological creatures made it over to Wilno. The occultist ethnographers that settled in Wilno claimed that 32 gods and 93 spirits, demons, creatures, and vampires came to the fabled Ottawa Valley Highlands. So on their logbook of people coming from Poland into Canada, they had logged 93 spirits, demons, creatures, and vampires, and 32 gods. Vlatsky. They're here. You know, it's logged in the, in the book. A lot of the creatures that plague Wilno remain nameless shadows of old lore. However, there are still many names that can't be properly described. Nay, they hesitate to whisper the term Vijeshki, Nosferatu, 
back in history when Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, you know, he was talking about the Bajeski, the Nosferatu. That's where he got the, the bloodletting and the bloodlust from. But Bram Stoker, not only was he an author, he was also a stage manager. And one of the actors that he had in his uh, acting stable was a gentleman called Henry Irving, soon to be known as Sir Henry Irving. He was the biggest star of the day. And Sir Henry Irving was a very odd character. He had a mesmeric personality. He never looked in a mirror. He refused to be photographed unless in full character and wardrobe. And he, it was very rare to see him outside during the day. And when Bram Stoker saw him perform, Bram Stoker was so taken aback that he fell to the ground in awe and said, I quote, I've been zinged by Sir Henry Irving. And zinged can be termed finessed. And that is a, a classic um, trait of a vampire is, the, is finessing. You know, they'd stare at you and they'd get into your mind and they'd read your eyes and they'd make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. When Bram Stoker saw him perform, he was overwhelmed. You know, Sir Henry Irving had the talents that made Bram Stoker drop to the ground. The energy he had, the magnetism, his mere presence. It exuded, it exuded mesmeric personality. Interesting fact about the two of them, they were both members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So their experiences, their beliefs, and all the magic, it all intertwined in between, in between the two of them. And at the time, all the movie critics and all the theater critics, they were saying that Bram Stoker drew inspiration for Dracula by Sir Henry Irving. Sir Henry Irving was the, it was the, the influence on uh, Bram Stoker to write Dracula, and Bram Stoker used Sir Henry Irving as Dracula. And here's a quote from a, from a theater review at the time. Scholars agree that keys to Dracula's origin and meaning lie in Bram Stoker's relationship with Sir Henry Irving. There is unanimity on the point that Dracula, which Bram Stoker wrote, was inspired by Sir Henry Irving. Bram Stoker's description of Irving corresponds so closely to his rendering of the Count that contemporaries commented on the resemblance. Bram Stoker internalized the fear and animosity his employer inspired in him making them the foundations of his gothic novel. So, being here in the crypt, the Crypt Keeper is going out on a cryptic limb and saying that Sir Henry Irving was a vampire. I think so. I think you're right. With that name, it's so unvampiric. Mm. He's got to be covering something up. The vampire was real. It was only that his true story had never been told. I'm going to start the Wilno vampire lore at the end. The local Wilno graveyard holds proof of previous vampire activity. The Wilno graveyard is home to a small grave that is surrounded by a white picket fence with a plaque that has an engravement that reads... If a vampire is not destroyed before it is buried, he will rise again and carry off his relatives and others in the neighborhood. 
Have you ever been to the Wilno um, graveyard? I have. I do remember. Uh, it wasn't in the evening, though, so it wasn't quite as spooky as it would normally be, but I remember going there. I don't remember much about it, to tell you the truth. Is it a big graveyard? It doesn't seem like it, no. Do you remember seeing the little white picket fence that surrounds that little grave yeah, with that I inscription? I remember a white picket fence. I, I probably did not read the inscriptions, hmm. but I do remember having a, uh, you know, some sort of a unique feeling in that graveyard. Uh, I, I tend to, I actually tend to enjoy strolling through a graveyard. I find it calming and peaceful. Um, but that one... It was calm and peaceful, but it just had a different quality about it that, that, uh, some sort of mystique or something around it. Yep. In 1968, the Canadian federal government hired a Mr. Jan Perkowski to investigate the vampire lore and fear festering in the dark occultism of Wilno. Mr. Pekowski was a curator at the Museum of Man. Mr. Pekowski ventured out to the wilderness of Wilno and conducted his vampire research. It was Pekowski that found the aforementioned plaque in the Wilno graveyard. He also discovered that the locals erected dozens of large wooden crucifixes all around town, intersections, buildings, outskirts, etc., and that every Sunday and holy days, those pioneers close to each crucifix would gather and pray so as to keep vampires out. Do you ever remember seeing um, crucifixes around Wilno? There's quite a beautiful big church as you come into Wilno. It's on the left of the highway, and I'm pretty sure it, uh, it has a big crucifix. I mean, obviously it's a church, but... Um, usually it just has a big giant uh, turkey for Thanksgiving but, um, but yeah, it, it is quite a religious community. Because it, it's well known that, it's well known in vampire lore that crucifixes are the bane of vampires. So erecting crucifixes all around and all over the town was a community effort in derailing any vampire attack. Six of those original crucifixes remain standing. Perkowski dove right into his government-funded research. During his many interviews with Wilno locals, he found, similarly, that each of his testimonials believed the same thing, that vampires exist and are undead and well living in Wilno. In Wilno, it's said that a man who becomes a vampire after his death was destined to it from his birth. If destined to become a vampire, he wears a little call at his birth and or the future vampire is born with two teeth. The latter is the more dangerous of the two since his becoming a vampire cannot be prevented before his death. But if one takes the little call from off the head of the future vampire, dries it out, grinds it to a dust, and when the child is seven years old, gives it to the child to drink or intake, all danger is averted. Now, I'm going to cryptically nerd out for a moment and give you the significance of the number seven, vampire-wise. An interesting fact that I found out that, numbers, that the number seven is a vampire number. 
Mathematically, a vampire number is a number which can be written as a product of two numbers called fangs, containing the same digits the same number of times as the vampire number. I don't really understand it. I just thought it was kind of cool. But occult-wise, the number seven was considered a symbol of perfection and efficiency. It is the only number that is represented by good and bad events. Now, I fancy myself quite the uh, amateur numerologist, and I, uh, I am constantly looking out for series of sevens or divisors of sevens, multiples of seven, anything with sevens. I was, that's, a, that's something very familiar in my life is the number seven. So whenever I hear, and during all this esoteric research since I've been, since I've been doing the podcast, the number seven comes up repeatedly. Case in point, vampire numbers and the, the occult significance of the number seven. Perkowski conducted a study by interviewing area residents, whom he simply referred to as informants. He utilized questionnaires and transcribed notes from tape conversations. The following are examples taken from the report. Informant number eight told him, something came in the night and drew blood from her arm. It was a vampire. It came to my daughter at night and took marrow. There was a sign. A ring was visible. She was weak and had all her blood drawn out. Informant number 12 told him, Mother said that I was born in call. They burned the call and kept it until I was seven. I don't recall having ingested the ashes when I turned seven, but this is something that mother would hardly announce. The ashes were probably hidden in my food. And informant number 17 spoke of first-hand accounts of annihilating Wilno vampires. If, however, all precautions have been neglected, there remains only one remedy. One must open the tomb of the vampire at midnight and drive a long nail into his forehead, or better still, cut off his head with a sharp spade and put it between his feet, an act I've done myself and in group multiple times. Every time I read that, I get chills, because that... That's an actual act of violence, a corpse desecration. But this is something that they used to do back in... This This testimonial comes from 1968. No, it really, it really isn't. Let the flesh instruct the mind. Anne Rice. The vampire lore is close at hand. So close, in fact, that they haunt the Ottawa Valley. All lore starts somewhere. In this reality, it started in Poland and was colorfully brought to the Ottawa area. The people and village of Wilno are beautiful, but are covering a dark secret that they cannot control. The gaze of the vampire is too strong to look away. So, if you find yourself enjoying Wilno, let the Crypt Keeper forewarn you. Do not spend the night, as you may become doomed to permanently stay in Wilno, as part of the walking undead in search of blood for the rest of your unholy existence. Big thanks to the Wilno Historical Society, Vampiric History, Poland Tourism, and Para Researchers Ottawa. 
And of course, our sponsors for this episode, A Squared Hairstyles. If you want the best hairstyle or the best haircut you'll ever have, go see Andrew and Amy over at A Squared Hairstyles. Hey, why be A1 when you could be A Squared? Major pops to my paranormal producer and good friend, Wolfman Jackson. Hey, maybe, maybe this summer we could go and check out those spots. It's been a pleasure having you here, man. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure being here, and I'd love working on the podcast with you. So, uh, thank you for, for involving me. I'm the Crypt Keeper signing off. And I'm the Wolfman signing off. And as always, stay suburban, stay mystified. Thank <laughs> you.